Well, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn in them first to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 25, and then we will turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And the main topic or theme that we will be turning our attention to is the humanity of Christ, the incarnation of Christ. And so I'd like us to read these passages through that lens. Now here in Isaiah chapter 7, we uh, come across King Ahaz, and he is king of the southern tribe of Judah. And and at this time, the the northern kingdom of Israel had uh, allied uh, allied with Syria to oppose Assyria. And Israel was wanting to Judah, was wanting Judah and King Ahaz to ally with them as well. And Ahaz refuses to do this. And um, uh, we see here his, his uh, conversation with the Lord. And here we see Ahaz's unbelief. Um, but God nevertheless gives to Ahaz a sign of blessing, this child that will be born. And this child isn't ultimately Isaiah's child. It's It's the Lord Jesus Christ who will come forth from the Virgin Mary. And God also, towards the end of this passage, speaks about coming judgment that the people of God will experience. So please pay careful attention, for this is God's holy and inspired word. Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 25. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or, or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall not eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. And that day the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will, they will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the clefts of the rocks and in all the thorn bushes and in all the pastures. And that day the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet, and it will sweep away the beard also. And that day a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep And because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds. For everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. In that day, every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. With bow and arrows, a man will come there. For all the land will be briars and thorns. As for all the hills that used to be hoed with a hoe, You will not come there for fear of briars and thorns, and they will become a place where cattle are let loose and where the sheep tread. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, please turn now to uh, to the New Testament, to Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. 
Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Well, please pay careful attention, for this is God's holy and inspired word given to us this morning. The Apostle Paul says, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now please look with me in your order of worship at the confessional reading element. This morning we will be confessing together Belgic Confession, Article 18. Belgic Confession, Article 18. This article is all about the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. As always, we all will be reciting this, this, uh, this article together as the people of God. And so, Congregation of Christ, what do you confess about the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ? So then, we confess that God fulfilled the promise which he had made to the early fathers by the mouth of his holy prophets when he sent his only and eternal Son into the world at the time set by him. The Son took the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man, truly assuming a real human nature with all its weaknesses except for sin, being conceived in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit, without male participation. And he not only assumed human nature as far as the body is concerned, but also a real human soul, in order that he might be a real human being. For since the soul had been lost as well as the body, he had to assume them both to save them both together. Therefore, we confess against the heresy of the Anabaptists who deny that Christ assumed human flesh from his mother, that he shared the very flesh and blood of children, that he is fruit of the loins of David according to the flesh, born of the seed of David according to the flesh, fruit of the womb of the Virgin Mary, born of a woman, the seed of David, a shoot from the root of Jesse, 
the offspring of Judah, having descended from the Jews according to the flesh, from the seed of Abraham. For he assumed Abraham's seed and was made like his brothers except for sin. In this way, he is truly our Emmanuel, that is, God with us. Well, let us pray and ask that the Lord would bless our consideration this morning. Merciful Father, we thank you that you, you have revealed yourself to us, not only in the book of creation, in which all creatures are like characters, words, and signs that point to your existence, your divinity, your power, and your glory, but we thank you most of all that you have revealed yourself to us in Holy Scripture. We thank you that through your gracious providence, you have preserved this book for us so that we this day can be edified by it. We pray, O Lord, that as we turn to consider uh, this very important topic of of the incarnation of your Son, Jesus Christ, the, the manner in which you condescended to us, weak and sinful people, we pray that you would build up our faith. We pray, O Lord, that you would make us not mere hearers of your word, but doers also. We ask all these things in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, boys and girls, uh, what do we do with our hearts and with our mouths according to the Belgic Confession? Elise? Very good. We believe with our hearts, we confess with our mouths. Now, what is God according, uh, according to the Belgic Confession? What is God? Violet? Simple, single, and spiritual. And how does this single, simple, spiritual God reveal himself to us? How do we come to know God? Yes, Isaiah? Creation and his word. Creation and his word. Uh, what is the Bible? Remember those three attributes, Mar- Marcus? Very good. Sufficient, inspired, and authoritative. What is the Trinity? What is the Trinity? You remember that short phrase? What is the Trinity? Violet? One essence, three persons. Very good. And do you remember what, how we think of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus? Annabelle? Eternally begotten of the Father. And what about the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Marcus? Eternally proceeds from the Father. Yes, that's the metaphor that, that the Bible uses for the Holy Spirit. Uh, what do we believe about creation? Is creation? Does creation come from something or from nothing? From something or from nothing? Noel? From nothing, yes. Creation ex nihilo. Uh, cre- uh, God created all things from nothing. Uh, well, the Belgic went on to think about original sin. Our sin problem came from Adam. Adam and Eve in the garden. We all are conceived and born in sin because of the decision of our first parents. And then two weeks ago, or or I guess two sermons ago, the Belgic transitioned to the grace section. Um, And when we think about election and reprobation, what attributes of God um, are we thinking about? Marcus? Mercy and justice. justice. God demonstrates his mercy in election and his justice in reprobation. And then uh, last week, God's response to the fall of man was him making a covenant of grace. 
with, with Adam and Eve, and he continues to unfold that covenant of grace throughout Scripture. And so we briefly thought about the covenant with Noah, the covenant with Abram, the covenant with Moses, the covenant with David, and how all of these Old Testament covenants of promise are fulfilled in Jesus and the new covenant. Well, today we'll be focusing upon the incarnation. So again, we're still in the grace section of the Belgian Confession, and we will be thinking about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. What is the incarnation of Jesus Christ? Why is it important? Does Jesus continue to have a human nature even after his resurrection and ascension into heaven? Is his human nature just like ours, or is it somehow a little bit different? What is the incarnation, the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, this morning I'd like to dwell upon three truths, three things that we learn from this article about the incarnation. First, uh, we learn from both scripture and from this article that the incarnation is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. The incarnation is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. So again, look with me at Article 18. We confess in this article that God fulfilled the promise which he had made to the early fathers by the mouth of his holy prophets when he sent his only and eternal son into the world at the time set by him. You may remember those phrases that the Belgic, uh, Article 18 concludes with, these phrases indicating that Jesus is the true seed of Abram. Uh, Jesus is the, the true king or, or, or son of David. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament promises and prophecies. Now recall what we thought about last week as we uh, briefly reflected upon the unfolding nature of this covenant of grace. When Jesus came in the flesh, he came as the true seed of the woman, promised in Genesis 3.15. He came as our ark, preserving us from the wrath of God. He came as the true offspring of Abraham. He came as the temple of God revealing the presence and glory of Yahweh. He came as the greater sacrifice. He came as our righteousness. And last of all, he came as the true seed of David. He was a king like unto David, an eternal king who earned an everlasting throne and an everlasting dominion. Jesus fulfilled all of these promises and covenants in the flesh. When he came to this world, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises and prophecies. It's sort of like when you read a mystery novel and you're thinking, I wonder, I wonder who did it. I wonder who did it. And you come to the end of the, the book and you, you, you read the conclusion and then you start to think back um, about the earlier parts of the story and you, and, you, and you remember all the ways in which the author foreshadowed that conclusion in earlier chapters. Well, think of the conclusion of the Bible, or one of the conclusions of the Bible, as the incarnation. And we see this conclusion foreshadowed in, in so many different ways throughout the Old Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises and prophecies. 
Second, we learn from this article that the incarnation is Jesus taking upon himself a real human nature. Now, that obviously might seem obvious, but that, what is, that's what the incarnation is. It's Jesus assuming or taking upon himself a real human nature. It's Jesus taking upon himself a real human nature. So again, notice what we confess in Article 18. The Son took the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man, truly assuming a real human nature. Here, the, the confession is alluding to and quoting Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, Paul speaks about how Jesus was, that though Jesus was um, in the form of God, the essence of God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being found in the likeness of man. Paul's telling us in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus assumed, though he was in the very form of God, he assumed a real human nature. How? How? Well, Belgic 18 explains that question for us, answers that question for us. Jesus assumed a real human nature, not by subtraction, but by addition. Jesus didn't lay aside his divinity as he took upon himself a humanity. Rather, Jesus added a humanity to a personhood that was already divine. Again, Jesus is one person existing in two natures. He's one person existing in two natures. His humanity does not compromise his divinity. And therefore, Jesus assumed a real human nature, not by subtraction, again, by laying aside his divinity, but by an addition. He added a human nature to a personhood that was already divine. But we also confess here in Article 18 that Jesus assumed a real human nature in all of its weaknesses except for sin. Think about that. Jesus assumed a real human nature in all of its weaknesses except for sin. Jesus willingly subjected himself to life under the common curse. He experienced what it's like to live as a human being under a sin-cursed world. Jesus assumed a real human nature in all of its weaknesses, except for sin. Listen to what we read in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 through 18. The author says, Therefore Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, that is to say to be the wrath-absorbing sacrifice for the sins of of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So if you care about having a high priest, a savior, who can actually satisfy the wrath of God for your sins, if you care about having a high priest who can sympathize with you in your weaknesses, 
who can care for you in the midst of your tribulations, who can help you in the midst of your temptations. If you care about those things, then you should also care about him having a real human nature. Jesus had to be like us in every respect so that he can be a merciful and faithful high priest, so that he can make propitiation for us, and so that he can help us during our times of temptation. His humanity is incredibly important. Well, Jesus assumed a real human nature by being conceived in the womb of the, uh, of the Virgin Mary by the special operation of the Holy Spirit. This means that Jesus' humanity came from his mother, from the Virgin Mary, but his conception was not by human means. It was by the special operation of the Holy Spirit, which means that, that the first Adam was not his father. The first Adam was not Jesus' father, implying that Jesus was not tainted by sin. Jesus was the only human being who could say, in sin, my mother did not conceive me. Because Adam was not Jesus' father, he was not conceived or born in original sin. He was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the special operation of the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, Jesus assumed a real human nature, meaning that he had both a body and a soul. Do you have a body? Do you have a soul? Well, then Jesus also had a body and a soul. He assumed a real human nature. He had to be like us in every respect, which is why we read in the Gospels that Jesus uh, would grow tired. He, at times, was thirsty and hungry. He needed to sleep. He had a human body. We also learn that Jesus experienced emotions. He grew angry and sorrowful. He had compassion and, and expressed love towards others. He had a soul. Jesus assumed a real human nature, both body and soul. Last of all, Jesus continues to have this real human nature even in his glorified form. Now, this is something that um, may not always be obvious to everybody, but Jesus after he assumed a human nature, will then forever have that human nature. He never lays aside that humanity, even after his ascension. Jesus is a real human being right now at the Father's right hand. Jesus continues to have a human nature, even in his glorified form. Now, in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, the Apostle Paul is speaking about the significance of the Lord's Supper. And Paul says, that the bread which we break in, in the Lord's Supper, the bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. The cup which we bless, again, the cup, the communion cup, is the communion of the blood of Christ. Paul is teaching us a very important truth about the Lord's Supper in that verse. He's teaching us that when we celebrate communion, we're not, we're not merely having fellowship or communion with the divine nature of Christ. Of course, that's true. The significance of the Lord's Supper, rather, is that we are having fellowship and communion with the human nature of Christ in the Lord's Supper. Paul is saying that when you break the bread, when you bless the cup, you are having real vital communion and fellowship with the very humanity of Christ. Now, that, that point is uncontroversial 
um, for every historic Christian tradition. If you're Catholic, Orthodox, Lutheran, Reform, Presbyterian, every historic Christian tradition embraces that truth. Now, where traditions will, will divide is how, how each tradition answers the how question. How do we have communion with the real human nature of Christ? And we'll postpone uh, that discussion until we get to this section of the Lord's Supper in the Belgian Confession. But needless to say, the Lord's Supper is very connected to the humanity of Christ. The reason why the Lord's Supper is a means of grace is because in the Lord's Supper, we are having real communion and participation with the humanity of Christ. By the Spirit, we are raised up to the right hand of God and enjoy real vital union with our resurrected Lord. And so Jesus continues to have a true human nature even in his glorified form. Well, the third point that I'd like us to focus our attention upon is that the incarnation was necessary for our complete salvation. The incarnation was necessary for our complete salvation. In Article 18, we confess, For since the soul had been lost as well as the body, Jesus had to assume them both to save them both. You discern what what the article is saying there? For since the soul had been lost as well as the body, Jesus had to assume them both to save them both together. Confession here is echoing a statement from the ancient church father, Gregory of Nazianzus, who was a a church father in the 4th century. And Gregory once said that what, what is not assumed by Jesus is not redeemed. What is not assumed is not redeemed. Meaning, according to the justice of God, if we ever hope to have bodies that are redeemed and souls that are redeemed, then Jesus needed to assume a body and a soul. What is not assumed is not redeemed. Jesus needed a body and a soul if we want our bodies and our souls to be redeemed. What is not assumed is not redeemed. Our hope in the new creation is not that we will be um, ethereal souls flying around. Our hope in the new creation is that we will have bodies. Yes, souls, but bodies, two glorified, resurrected bodies. And the reason why we can have that hope is because Jesus assumed a real body. Because Jesus himself assumed a real human nature, we can have the hope of one day having a redeemed human nature, a glorified and resurrected body. We await that day in the words of the Apostle Paul in which our bodies will be transformed to mirror the very body of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. What is not assumed is not redeemed. Jesus had to take upon himself a body and a soul in order to redeem our body and our soul. Now, one of my favorite quotations from uh, John Calvin's Institutes of Christian Religion, that was his main work of of theology, has to do with this topic, the incarnation, the human nature of Christ. And he uses the the illustration of a stream. So imagine there's a stream, and a stream can be used for a variety of purposes. It can can give drinking water to a, a neighboring village or city. It can water a field. It can serve as irrigation for for a field, for crops. It can uh, water cattle or herds or sheep. 
However, no stream just flows from itself. Every stream has an origin, a spring. And in this illustration, the, the water in the stream is like the life of the Godhead. And we're like the cattle that, 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 that drink from this stream, uh, drink from the life of the Godhead. But the origin of the stream, the source, the spring of the stream, is the humanity of Christ. Meaning that it's the humanity of Christ that mediates the very life of the Godhead to us. How is it that we can have any connection with the life of a triune holy God? Was well, through the humanity of Christ. This is why Jesus is called our mediator. It's through his flesh that we experience the life of the Godhead himself. Which is why Calvin, at the end of this, this quotation, says, Now who does not see that communion of Christ's flesh and blood necessary for all who aspire to heavenly life? If this is, um, if, if, if the humanity of Christ is this important, then the Lord's Supper also is going to be very, very important. It's a way in which we strengthen our bond with the humanity of Christ and thus further our connection to the life of the Godhead. And thus the incarnation is necessary for our complete salvation. We'll notice at the end of this article, the Belgian Confession rejects a certain teaching that was put forward by the Anabaptists, the Anabaptists of the 16th century. And essentially, the Anabaptists of the 16th century rejected the idea that Jesus assumed a real human nature from his mother. And in so doing, they really rejected the true humanity of Christ. Now, I think this is a pretty common view by a lot of people. This is sort of our natural understanding of Christ. And the Anabaptists in the 16th century were merely uh, repeating the ancient heresy of docetism. But I think a lot of people, I think we all kind of naturally uh, affirm that, yes, Jesus was human. Yes, Jesus was sinless. But he wasn't really of the same humanness as we are. He was somehow elevated above us. He was somehow, you know, a superhuman. There had to be some, some divine qualities dwelling within his humanity. He can't, he can't be like us in every respect. I think that's sort of our natural assumption. But again, remember what we read in Hebrews chapter 2. Jesus had to be like us in every, every respect, sin accepted, so that he can be a merciful and faithful high priest. Our salvation depends upon the humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ.